listeners and welcome newcomers to the Tool Belt Podcast. I'm Anna Townsend, Managing Editor of Plant Services and your host for today's episode. Today I'm chatting with Dave Penrith. He's an experienced industry executive with a 35-year career at a global consumer goods company, where he retired as global chief engineer. Dave is a champion of digital technology, deploying automation and robotics on thousands of applications, and he's known for his dedication to collaboration, community, and diversity. Dave is joining me today to discuss ESG, or Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance Policies and Practices. Plant Services conducted a survey in partnership with Augury to look at ESG-related topics. We'll talk about some of those topics today and, and what Dave has seen in the field. All right. Hey, Dave. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, Anna. How are you? I'm great. So we're going to frame our conversation today around our survey statistics and and hoping you can add some real-world perspective to those numbers. So the majority of companies on our survey, about 46%, indicated that ESG goals and objections are are taken very seriously. Does that number or perhaps the 19% that say ESG goals are not a priority surprise you at all? Or does that kind of confirm what you know to be true about industry and ESG? Well, I think I think it, some of them do surprise me. You know, the 19 percent surprises me and only 46. But I, I really believe that everyone is going to need to have a clear plan in these areas sooner or later. And I think the pressure for those plans are going to come from a, a combination of one or more areas. One will be about, you know, internal choice and policy moving there, which 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 would be good. There's also, I think, a a shift that many people have seen in consumer or customer demand for responsible companies is increasing all the time. But the worst pressure could come from legislation. You know, if if legislation comes in place, that could be the worst pressure. But those that choose, you know, to be towards the leading edge of this area can gain. I think they can gain a couple of things. I think they can gain competitive advantage if it comes from consumer or customer demand. And and if they if it if they get ahead of the curve, they can have more influence in any legislation that may come, because I think you know governments don't really understand the detail in this as well as industry does. So any ill ill informed legislation could be potentially damaging in some industries. And I really believe that being part of defining the end game is going to be a lot better than becoming a victim of it. Yeah, I think that's a a great point about being proactive with these issues rather than reactive. Um, I think it's a theme that's very familiar to our our maintenance audience. Um, So according to our research, about half are proactive, in this case, have a formal ESG policy or charter in place. Um, Of those that have a formal policy, the large majority, 94%, um, have read at least a summary of the policy and about 44% have read it in full. What do you think accounts for the strong corporate support for ESG goals? Well, you know, I think the answer to this is partly linked to the first question. That strong corporate support will in no doubt be coming from, you know, the pressure from one of the areas I mentioned before, whether that's internal policy and choice, whether that's a real shift in customer or consumer demand, or whether there is serious concern over possible impending legislation. 
But but whichever way and whatever the combination of reasons why, I think the most well-informed boards of these companies clearly understand that in order to build a longer-term sustainable business, then the areas of ESG and the goals that go with them need to become absolutely entrained in their organisation and in their corporate strategy. So clearly policy and practice are two different things. In terms of employee engagement with ESG policies, our our survey showed very high numbers of employees that were unengaged on a daily basis with ESG policies. So we're seeing a discrepancy between what companies outline as their ESG goals and what practices are actually carried out. What do you think accounts for this discrepancy? Well, you know, my, my first thought would be there's a couple of areas here. I'd imagine that most employees, you know, look at a list of corporate policies or at least the title to the email that sent it out. And then they think, well, you know, how does this really affect me on a daily basis? Because I, I think if the policy was on pay or conditions or personal safety and well-being, then I guess the survey numbers would look a lot different. So maybe it's about making it more personal and how it benefits them, you know, maybe also in a non-work way, in a more personal way. I think the second one is an age old challenge, you know, in larger companies or fast growing companies is how do you keep a constant and valuable dialogue between the leadership and the people within the rest of the people within the company? And, you know, you would know that in a small company, as it starts out, the CEO generally knows everybody. And in those smaller environments, communication can be like around the coffee machine and it's it's alive and it's on the fly and, and you know, it's a little less formal, perhaps. But if you look at the large corporate organizations, this is a constant and daily challenge. And you see, you know, some functions or departments needing communication support, both internally as well as externally. But I think out of those two points, the answer probably lies somewhere between the two. It's about how you can engage with people on a regular basis and how do you make it more personal to them. But by investing in your people's awareness in this space, not only do you engage them, but I think you can all, all actually start to realise a lot of the answers from them. Yeah, because the people will have the answers locked in there because there's an age old saying that says, you know, if only large companies knew what they already know. But the trick is releasing all that trap knowledge and capability in the people. Yeah, that's a great point about what can be gained from your your people on the floor and those working in the plant environment on a daily basis and make sure you engage them and, and their knowledge. Uh, so that kind of change management is never easy, especially for large organizations. I think for all the reasons you just mentioned, you know, ESG may be even more challenging of a message to to establish and engender. So how do organizations go about driving the ESG message into all areas of the business? And in your experience in industry, you know, what works and what doesn't? I think primarily, you know, it's about consistency and validity of the message at the higher level. And that consistency is clear, you know, is clear and consistent for deployment. But it also needs suitable adjustment as it cascades. But those adjustments should ensure the relevance of the message to the audience and connect with them around their daily work and their daily lives. Because, as I said before, we have to address that inner question in everyone, which is, you know, how how does this affect me? And we have to be careful of like too much corporate hype because it makes the message a bit less authentic and it's less engaging then to the people who are actually going to have to make this change happen every day. Definitely. Makes sense. So it's clear from 
from our data that something's getting in the way of some companies achieving their ESG goals. You know, survey respondents indicated employee engagement levels as an obstacle with which we've just discussed quite a bit here. Also, they include undefined financial benefits and undefined operational benefits as some major obstacles to those goals. So what do you think those obstacles indicate about opportunities for organizations with communication and access at all levels? Well, we we just spoke about employee engagement before and, you know, how some of the answers to the challenges will actually sit within the people. But the trick being is releasing that. So I won't I won't cover that again. But let's look at the other two aspects. Let's take the operational ones first. If you look at asset and process performance, an example, you know, if we can ensure that an asset is running in a known and healthy state or a process is operated in its optimum window, then the benefits are clear at the shop floor level you know, and above. Because optimum use of resources, which for me is about the best possible output for the, you know, the ideal output per unit input. And if that unit input is energy and utilities, well, they've got big pull on world's precious resources as well. And just, you know, the labor as well. You know, I've always found that operating teams are in a much happier and better place when things are running well, not when they're running bad. But if, if we can get things running better, we can use their time more effectively you know, looking at further improvements rather than battling the symptoms of today's performance issues. We should always look at, you know, more efficiency means less waste here. And if an asset is running well, there's less unplanned downtime. And any downtime that we do have is then planned and it adds value rather than depletes it. So another area, you know, in the financial side now is predictable performance. If you think that if you know that an asset will perform to its planned level, well, you then you don't waste as much time and money replanning because it's it's working reliably and consistently. So you don't lose that constant replanning time and you know and all the materials that would take. But a less obvious one, which I would link some operational, but there's also financial, is is people. You know, when people are happy and productive, you know that's a huge part of your retention plan as a company. Because losing and rehiring people costs money and costs time. And a lot of the newer generations of people in the workplace we see now have got additional motivations. You know, you know, when some of us were younger, it was about getting a job. But now it's people want a career where they can gain experiences and skills and actually make a make a difference. So adopting some of these newer approaches approaches in this ESG space is a key motivator for many of these people. And we need those people to build that future for us. Okay, that was a lot to to think about in terms of using your resources most efficiently. And again, I I like the focus on people. I think that's so so important, especially when you're, you're talking about culture change. Okay, we'll flip gears a little bit here. And I want to talk about sort of new technology solutions that are available to help uh, companies with their ESG goals. So according to our survey, the majority of companies are already using uh, energy monitoring technology, followed by leak detection, emissions monitoring, and asset monitoring and analytics solutions. So where can companies benefit from these technology solutions and what might they be wary of? Okay, so yeah, I've I've seen, you know, all of those or been involved with all of those. I think the big difference that we need to think about is we need to adopt more of a connected thinking approach. 
you take leak detection, you know, on, on its own, it just tells you how bad it is. And that is the no what. It's a single dimension and it's a one off data point. But that's OK, but it doesn't prevent it from recurring, you know, the second and third and fourth times in the front. The asset monitoring analytics can actually find the root cause and, and rectify it and prevent it from happening again. So in addition to the know what, you've then got the, the know why. And that's where the true longer term rewards can come. I'd say watch out in this digitization space. There's often a, a desire or a push to, to move everything to a full blown digital twin. And, you know, that's the ultimate stage of evolution of this whole digital journey. But I've actually found that the acquisition and visualization of data, even though it's early in the phases of that journey, are usually the key steps that engage the people around the problem. And I think, you know, we need to look at technology providers here as well, because we've got to. my suggestion to people would always be work, work with the people that fall in love with your problem before they fall in love with their own solution, because they have to be really aware of what the benefits are you know, to you as, as the operating company. Automation is another big space, you know, both in the physical and virtual spaces. You know, there's a lot of this in physical automation like robotics or automation of procedures. But the watch out here is the same for both. It's, it's about inefficiency and it's critical that any process before you automate it, you need to want it. Is it really necessary? And secondly, is it in its most efficient form before you start automating it? Because I believe the worst thing you can do in that space is be more efficient at doing the wrong thing or doing something that's completely unnecessary in the first place. Yeah, I think even with technology, it comes back to your people and, and whether it's finding the what's most efficient for your company um, or just using those advanced digital solutions really need engaged employees in order to, to make them work. Can we talk a little bit more about the people side of technology? Uh, what have what have you seen in the field when it comes to introducing new tech, making that tech work on the plant floor or sort of your general insights about what works to get people not only enthusiastic about technology solutions, but also committed to the results for the long term. Uh, I, th- I think I think it uh, it starts with basic human nature. I think if we're honest, you know, and this is not everybody, but I think most human beings first reaction is to resist change. You know, everyone's got an inbuilt inertia around the direction that they're already moving in. And to change that creates a disturbance, which which not everybody likes. So people need to trust the change and actually believe in the new path. And to make that more effective, any change needs to also be seen as an invest that investment in them personally. So upgrading skills is an absolute key area. And this is going to be you're going to need to do this anyway. You know, as technology moves on, you know, everyone's going to get taken with this wave front. So. Rather than being a reactive, you know, make it a proactive and positive experience. I think then that starts people seeing that you're invested in the future, but it also it removes their fear of it when they understand it. And then they become part of that momentum of change and and not they're not fearful of being a casualty of it. And once you get people feeling part of that change, you kind of get like a multiplier effect. It, it kicks in in people and their engagement smooths the path for change. But perhaps more importantly, you've got the hearts and minds in there now. And, you know, as as we discussed earlier, many of the answers you may be searching for could already be in your people. And they most likely are. 
And a more inclusive approach, I think, is the key to help releasing them. Definitely. Those people are so important. Yeah. Dave, thank you so much for your time and your valuable insights. I think you've given our listeners a lot to think about in terms of ESG at a, at a practical level and how to get your employees on board and committed. It's it's certainly a tall order, but you've outlined a great game plan, I think. So thank you to our listeners. And Dave, thank you again for joining us today on the Tool Belt podcast. Thanks very much. Take care, everyone.